You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. Recording a podcast on the 8th of November 2023, the day that Nestle have announced that they will be discontinuing the Caramac Bar after 64 years. As we mourn the loss of the caramel-flavoured delight on this week's Scarves Around the Funnel, we're joined by a couple of sweeties. First up, our very own Snickers bar, since he's a bit nutty and hasn't been associated with a marathon in quite a few years, Mark Donaldson. Look, boy, I've got to start by saying that this week's opening gambit from me has already been shared between us on our WhatsApp group. Thankfully, no one took a screenshot and shared it to the wider world. So this will be the first time it's being heard by the majority, and it's unlikely to spread like wildfire in the vicinity of the EH. Postcode. I'll keep this brief because there's a lot on the agenda today. I just want to say there's complete harmony between me, you, Scott McIntosh, and the future new captain of St. Johnston, Ryan McGowan. He doesn't know that yet, but it's surely going to happen. No one on this show, I believe, has an act to grind with anybody else. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I see we're going with lots of pertinent and topical mm. references in the opening to... It's like, have I good news for you, isn't it? Yes, um, but I'll continue with the confectionery oh, oh, line. Um, also Scott, you ready for this? Is the bounty of the group, because some love him, some hate him on Twitter anyway. He divides opinion, but he always makes our selection box, doesn't he? Scott McIntosh. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think what could be a sweetie reference. Oh, I'll tell you what, I was catching up on some of my on this days, and there was a bit of Turkish delight on this day. Good. Nine years ago, when Alim Urstok uh, defied the odds and scored a second forty-yard uh, forty-yard strike in the space of a week, and a one-nil home win against Rafe Rovers. A week after <laughs> Alan Stubbs claimed. He'll never do that in another thousand efforts. We've forgotten about that one. I say some have. That's that's the one that never gets mentioned, isn't it? For most terms. It is. It is. Uh, and I am, after this first one, and I, I did drop Turkish Delight into my commentary off the cuff at the time. Yeah. Um, and then Rob McLean used it in his canned <laughs> comms later on. Um, but I literally went and bought Turkish Delights from the shop after. Not a fan. After, no, neither am I. I don't really like. I, I actually, I like Turkish delight. I don't like the the sweets you buy. 
little, little bar things. But it was just a joke. So I turned up at the after match party with a, just a bag of Turkish delights. There you go. Pointless references out the way. Um, mm. Thank you both for joining this week. Very upbeat just now. We've kind of forgotten that we've got to speak about hearts <laughs> again. Um, but we, we will. Let's try and keep this upbeat. Well, we, we do want to stay upbeat. I mean, we've been very glum too many times this season and last season as well, towards the end of it anyway. So let's, yeah, we'll, we'll try and keep it upbeat. We will have some less upbeat things to talk about, of course. Um, we're going to talk about the last two matches, in particular, of course, the Rangers game, because that's the most recent and the biggest one, but Hearts did play Livingston, so we'll have a quick um, reference on that as well. Look ahead to Motherwell, of course, and we're going to talk about some of the general, I guess, Hopefully not just issues, but I know a lot of it's issues, but the, the things that are on people's minds just now, the questions, the concerns, the points that they might want to raise. We have actually some emails, three in total from people. So thank you for getting in touch, everyone. We're going to try and get to those throughout the show. And we've got a lot of tweets with different questions. We put it out there. We want to open up the discussion this week. So it wasn't just us bumping our gums and going through the sort of same points and the same discussion areas um discussion areas just go with discussion points laurie so we'll see where that takes us um before we kind of crack on with I suppose, some of the match reviews i, I did want to actually start with the first email because it's not specific to the matches that have taken place and i thought it'd be a good one because of the time of year just now i know hearts had their Remembrance match against Livingston, of course, but we are approaching um, Remembrance Day this weekend. So this one seemed quite pertinent, and it's it's a really nice email, so I want to get through it to begin with. So this is from Neil Scholes, and he says, Dear Laurie, Mark, Ryan, and Scott, can we believe Ryan still gets into these openings and people email us? Um, Firstly, many thanks for taking the time to host Scarves in the Funnel. It's very much appreciated. It's a great weekly listen. This week, it sees an important date in the heart and Midlothian football calendar, namely Remembrance Day. The selfless actions of those uh, players who joined McRae's battalion are actually why I support Hearts. My grandfather was from Danoon, and his own dad, my great-grandfather, was killed in the First World War. When my granddad heard that the players had also made the ultimate sacrifice, he became a lifelong supporter, and when I showed an interest in football, he told me there was only one team to support, and took me at six years old to Tyne Castle in April 1970 to watch a 1-1 draw with Clyde, and I've been a supporter ever since. I went on to serve in the military myself for 30 years, and therefore the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month is poignant for many reasons, not just hearts related. The football club, however, has done well to keep the memory of McRae's battalion alive, and the poppy is often prominent at this time of year, not least on the jerseys, and that is much appreciated by all who served and the wider community. Clearly supporting Hearts for the last 53 years, I've seen many ups and downs, but this email is not written on the back of two losses to Rangers and a loss to Celtic. Mark will know the stats better um, than myself, but I, like many, don't expect to beat the old firm. I suspect we win perhaps 5% of games we play against them. The email is, however, written on the back of a lack of passion, commitment and competitiveness that I see on the pitch. As I say, I do not expect us to win every week, but I do expect to see the same desire and fight that exemplifies what pulling on a maroon jersey should mean. And the passion and commitment that makes young men join up and die for a great cause, a greater cause than themselves. 
As the players walk through the tunnel, they see the words blood doesn't show in a maroon jersey. They should look at that and then look at, take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and understand in heart and Midlothian terms what that actually means. So what to do about it? I do not blame the manager. I don't believe, however, he should have been appointed and someone must take responsibility for that. I do, however, look uh, to those who take the field of play. Mark often talks about having a strong spine to a team and I've been lucky enough to see what uh, see that with proper hearts men in that spine for me it starts with a big strong center back um sharp elbows in the mode in the model of for example david weir alan anderson alan mclaren dave mcpherson neil berry sandy jardin jim jeffries uh roddy mcdonald or craig levine to name just but a few um craig halkett and even frankie kent although not scottish amongst the current players i see could fill that role some younger listeners may balk at the name Craig Levine, but he was a great player in his day. Over 300 appearances, 16 Scotland caps, SPFA Young Player of the Year twice, and passionate enough to punch his own player in the face during a friendly. That action is perhaps not what we want, but the passion and desire is exactly what it means to be a Hearts player. At the base of that spine, we have Craig Gordon on his way back, and in Lawrence Shanklin, we have a proven goal scorer at the top of the spine. This email has gone on long enough, apologies, but if the players could muster just a few ounces of the courage shown by their predecessors and transfer it to the field of play, then we will do well. You can't get, uh, you can get everywhere in life by trying hard and never quitting, and the current players need to look at themselves and realise why so much is owed by so many to so few. I hope the current and future group of players never have to go to war, but I do hope Heart of Midlothian Football Club tell the players when they join about the history and why this club truly means so much to many of us, lest we forget Neil. So I just thought that was, you know, quite powerful in many things yeah. he references. You know, I don't feel I need to add too much to to what Neil said there. It's obviously a, a very important part of Heart's history when it comes to remembrance and the sacrifice that was made. But I think it does play a big part in hearts going forward. And I think there's some good points there about, um, I guess about what it means, the football club to many beyond football. And I, th I think it just gives us a bit of perspective, doesn't it, Mark? I, I want to leave the football part of that to later in the show. And I want to, which is fair. Yeah. yeah of course. I, I want to, I want to talk about the most important part. And that is, is our football club and the history of our football club and, and what it means to those associated with the football club, the area, the people involved, who a lot of them are now sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, great-grandsons and great-granddaughters of those who fell in the Great War. And I want to bring up one of my favourite people, and we've spoken about him before on Around the Funnel. His name is George Hutchison. He's from Pennycook, and I went to school with his son, and I got to know George very well. He's a massive Hearts fan. He's also a volunteer for Football Memories, the group that meets at Tynecastle and help those with Alzheimer's, dementia, and various other things, just to remember about the past of Heart Midlothian Football Club and to perhaps trigger things in the minds and brains of those that are maybe suffering. The reason I want to bring George up, uh, I'm going to go back to a Big Hearts blog from 2018, and it kind of tells the story of the cairn at Contal Maison, which was erected by the McRae's Battalion Trust in 2004. Now, every year since it was built, George and his good friend Jim Paris went over to Contal Maison to attend a remembrance service 
on the 1st of July. Now, obviously, at the start of November, we have Remembrance Sunday. We have our Haymarket um, memorial to, to everyone. Um, but this is about what happened back in France at, at, at Contal Maison. And as George says, when they enlisted, hearts were winning the league. He says, in Contal Maison, it feels special to be standing where our players fought and died over a century ago, so we can still be here today. And he finishes, Contal Maison is bringing people together. It's about solidarity and mutual respect. Whoever's in charge of Heart of Midlothian right now, boardroom level, management level, there will be a Heart of Midlothian in 100 years from now. There will be new fans. It'll be our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, our great-grandsons and granddaughters who will be there. The most important thing for me is that still, prior or just after Remembrance Sunday, when Heart of Midlothian play, we remember the sacrifice that those people gave and they, unfortunately, didn't survive, but they allowed us to continue where we were. So, Football, how do you even put that into context with what we've kind of remembered and thought about? And just in that minute silence, whether it's at the Haymarket or whether it's at Tyne Castle or wherever it is, I think it's, it's so important that this is something we never forget about, whether it's next year, 20 years' time, or 100 years' time. I think this is an important part of our football club, and I'm delighted and so proud to be a supporter of Hart Midlothian Football Club at this time of year. You were at the game uh, against Livingston Scott. Obviously, that was the remembrance, um, the remembrance match for Hearts. Uh, what does it mean to you in terms of the Hearts do still obviously pay homage to to those who have fallen, those who have given the ultimate sacrifice? Be that obviously the the team of of 1914 and those who are involved in McRae's battalion or, or anyone since. Be that you know supporters, you know club officials, employees, or players. Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks very much to, to Neil for the email and, and also for his 35 years service as well. I think it's not something that I was overly aware of when when I was a child or even as a teenager. I think it's something that the club have probably, I would say that their, their emphasis to sort of celebrate, uh, you know, that sacrifice I would say that's been sort of ramped up over the last sort of 15 to 20 years, I would suggest. Plus, there's, I think there's also more access to, to sort of archives and, and, and articles regarding it as well now, uh, you know, due to the, you know, you know, the internet and, and people just sort of sharing things over social media and that as well. So I do think that it's a lot easier now for, for people growing up to sort of become accustomed with the story very early on, whereas I'd say for myself, it was probably something late teens, early 20s when I started to have a, a proper grasp of of what those events meant to the club, uh, sort of individually, uh, I think it's quite it's quite well timed that that we've had an email like that because I think it's always quite nice to focus on something that isn't just about the match day uh, yeah. and something that we can all be united on. You know, there's like many football clubs, there's always going to be divisions and camps within supporters because some supporters will like player X, some supporters won't, same with managers and same with boards. I think this is one of those those truly unifying sort of events that 
that bring all Hearts fans together. You know, you won't find any Hearts fans disagreeing when it comes to their stance on on what happened uh, back in those days. So, yeah, uh, just again, very much thanks to Neil. Uh, if he is interested in terms of the old firm win percentages, uh, I don't have a, a club one to hand. Uh, what I could tell him, though, is the win percentages against the old firm under our last five longest-serving managers. So Alex McDonald had a 20% win ratio against the old firm. Uh, Joe Jordan and Jim Jeffries had 19% win ratios. Robbie Nielsen had a 13% win ratio and Craig Levine had an 8% win ratio. Some good stats, just to add into it, indeed. Um, yeah, thank, thank you to Neil, as Scott says, for messaging us. And yeah, the annual Remembrance Sunday service that Mark referenced, um, which is held at the War, War Memorial at Haymarket, is on Sunday. Um, I know the... Uh, FA chaplain Mark Fleming is there. The service attended by obviously the first team, the women's team, reserve team, coaching staff, directors, fans will be in attendance as well. And I'm delighted I'll be actually going to the McRae's Battalion Trust Remembrance Lunch on Sunday. So honoured to be going along to that one. So it is it is important that we have a little bit of perspective and we always reference obviously those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And as Neil said at the end, you know, lest we forget. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. On to action on the field for Hearts. Now, I'll, I'll briefly start with the Livingston game, because at the time of recording, it is over a week ago um, uh, that Livingston came to Tynecastle. And obviously we had a game since then, but important still to reference it because it was a big win for Hearts, a crucial win for Hearts. Uh, four changes to the side for this game. Kingsley, Devlin, Lowry and Boyce all came in and Hearts played that central defensive three uh, that they played against Rangers. It was a 3-5-2, Forrest in at right wing back, Lowry playing the number 10 and Liam Boyce getting a start supporting Shankland up front, Kenneth Vargas would be the match winner. He came on for Liam Boyce with 21 minutes to go and would score 10 minutes later. Now, Mark, we've we've seen we've seen a story and we've seen um, a certain scenario pan out quite a few times for Hearts in recent times. It feels like where teams come to Tyne Castle and they sit in, they frustrate, and Hearts can't break them down. It, in some ways, it felt like maybe there was signs that this could be one of those nights. But I have to say, I think I took. Only I could only really take positives from this Livingston game because I, I actually felt in this game that we would find a way through. I don't know if it was the same for you watching at home, but it just felt like one of these matches where we were threatening enough that it we would we would finally break the resistance. Mm-hmm. I I thought the performance was was fine enough. The chance creation we win that four or five and no one bats an eyelid. Um, it just the longer it takes. We've seen this, and and, and by the way, Hearts have employed. Maybe not as defensive as tactics as Livy deployed, but we've gone to to European games away from home, or we've gone to Celtic and Rangers and and sat behind the ball. And and it's the longer it gets, you're just hoping that you frustrate the opposition more. So I I'm, I was very pleased with the fans' patience in this game because mm-hmm. I think they they saw what you've just said. I think they saw that look, it might not come. 
I think Celtic drew against St Johnston earlier this season at home, nil nil, and it, it was similar statistics. And that St Johnston weren't interested in going over the halfway line; it was just defend, defend, defend. In that instance, Celtic and they're the the champions couldn't find a way past arguably, or well, they were at the time the worst team in the league because they were bottom. So these type of games happen. So for the fans not to get too frustrated, um, I, I think was was admirable. And yeah, I think we've got enough negativity to focus on so that it doesn't drag into kind of negativity when we're talking about a win. It was 1-0, if it had been 3 or 4, no one could have complained. Scott, it was one of these games where it was... <laughs> I understand, you know, Livingston were going to come and they were going to try and frustrate us and be defensive, but I was slightly taken aback at just how limited they decided to be. They seemed to have absolutely no intention of doing anything with the ball. Um, which is why we ended up with 80% possession. Is this a game you can read much into as a case of Livingston were so deep and so poor with the ball that Hart were bound to get away through, or do we give ourselves a bit more credit? I, I think you have to give the team credit purely based on the fact that, like the, the crowd, they were patient. You know, it would have been easy to have started just knocking balls long, maybe potentially going into the second half. Uh, but but thankfully, the team sort of stuck to the task. I think that Forrest and Cochrane provided great width uh, on both flanks. I would say that in, in both of their, their cases, their final ball was found wanting, unfortunately, and seldom did they manage to sort of beat the, the first man with their cross balls. But they, they definitely did give us an outlet sort of moving into that final third. It didn't tell us a lot regarding our ability to sort of move the ball quickly. That's still something that we were finding a, a bit of a worry. The decision to start Devlin and Benny, I, I don't know, that clearly didn't work. Whatever Naismith was wanting out of Devlin, he wasn't getting. You could sort of see him getting quite frustrated on the touchline during the first half. And it probably wasn't much of a surprise to see George Grant coming on at half time. But, you know, I felt the subs all came on. They all contributed. You know, Grant setting up Vargas for the winner. Uh, and I think you've just got to you've, you've got to try and just take the positives from, from a game like that, considering the, the sort of recent run of... Uh, you know, difficult challenges and matches that we've had against Hibs in the old firm. I think three points was paramount. They managed to get it. They managed to create a few chances. And I think the fans were, were relatively happy with what they saw. So one no win for Hearts against Livingston, which at the time propelled them up to fourth spot in the Premiership. And it gave them a bit of positivity ahead of the Via Play Cup semi-final that will come up next against Rangers Cochrane left hand side back to Kai Rolls again Shankland edge of the area, Grant inside the box but a lot of bodies in front Finish. of the cross area, Vargas finally the breakthrough George Grant into the six yard box and Kenneth Vargas arrives with a timely first goal for Hearts, the Livingston resistance finally broken down. Vargas on the score sheet. Hartem and Lothian won. Livingston nil. Okay, so Hartem and Lothian against Rangers in the Viaplay Cup, or for traditionalists, the League Cup, the semi final, the last four 
at Hampden Park, uh, a game that saw the two sides come together for the second time in the space of a week after Hearts had that late heartache at Ibrox the previous Sunday. And in terms of this game, Hearts stuck with the back three again, or well, probably more of a back five for this one. Forrest, Devlin, Lowry and Boyce all out of the team. Lowry, of course, unavailable against his parent club. In came Sibic, Neuenhoff, Grant and Vargas into the starting 11. There was also a place on the bench for 18-year-old Adam Forrester, who has made 10 appearances for the B team this season and from reports that I've heard, is a very promising right back. Could well be knocking on the door and with Afaya out for this one and with Atkinson, of course, still injured, gave him a spot on the bench. In terms of the team, Mark, I suppose some eyebrows raised that Cammy Devlin wasn't mm. in there again. I don't know what you made of that one. Obviously, Benny Neuenhoff and then Grant in the central areas. It maybe seemed an odd one to a few people that in a game such as this, that Cammy Devlin would not get that starting position, albeit, yeah. to be fair, at Ibrox. Neuenhoff and Benny Beningme did very well in the first half. Mm. The two positions, I think, to be discussed are no Cammy Devlin in the starting 11 and Toby Civic. Uh, uh, right wing back. Uh, I think it wasn't a surprise. Right? There's no point in sitting here and going, why didn't Hearts play 3-4-3 and, and, and have a go because you know that, that that they lost? I would like to have seen that because listening to James um, on the Hearts Standard podcast and Joel Sked, I think it was Joel that pointed out that back four for Rangers um, is all over the age of 30. So it's not the quickest, but it wasn't really troubled. So the, the two issues for me were the right-hand side and playing a back five or a back three with a wing back. If you're going without Devlin in there and you're kind of playing a George Grant who's kind of meant to be playing in front of the, the holding midfielders and, and off the strikers, it's, you're probably better off playing Devlin in there and just making it really tight for them. If they want to get success, get success out wide. But if you do that, you do need someone at right wing back, like an Alan Forrest, who I don't want him as a right back. He's never a right back in a back four. Could he make it work if he's the right wing back in a back five? Well, you probably could. Um, up against Seaman Barisic, I mean, ba Borna Barisic likes to get forward where possible. So maybe they thought, oh, Toby Civic's a better option there defensively. Look, t Toby Civic is the second choice for the right centre back. And listening back to our podcast, you both agreed that you, you both think, unless I'm mistaken, that Toby Civic is a better right centre-back. That's probably his best position. So they've chosen to play Stephen Kingsley there ahead of Toby Civic, which is a bit damning. Then they've put him out at right wing-back, and he doesn't really get forward. So it's more a containment lineup that one. So my big concern, and it wasn't just this game, it was the Ibrox game as well, if we concede the opening goal, then what? We didn't at Ibrox, and we didn't up until halftime in this one. So Stephen Naismith could say, oh, I was going fine, but we we didn't lay a glove on them in the first half. If they were better in front of goal, I'm sure they would have they would have gone in at halftime ahead. I don't think they're a great side. They're not a great Rangers side compared to Rangers sides of the past 10 years. They're better than us, but we made it easy for them. And that lineup, to me, was more a preventative lineup than a let's have a go here and 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 maybe try 
and get to the final of a, a League Cup because ultimately, in the second half, it just went tits up. Yeah, before the second half, Scott, obviously Hearts did go in at the break level. A similar sort of approach, as Mark alludes to, that they took at Ibrox. What were your feelings, though, about how the game was going, what the setup was, and ultimately, did you feel there was a noticeable game plan in this one? Yeah, so so just before I touch on that, I, I want to maybe give a, a little bit of maybe an observation on the, the Cami Devlin decision. Uh, I've been pulling up some stats on the players because I've been doing a little a little sort of uh, piece on sort of just reviewing everyone based on their form since the start of the season. And, you know, Cami's been booked now nine times. Now, what I would say in his defence is that I do think some of those bookings were harsh and he's only actually been sent off once in his Hearts career. But I don't know if that is now starting to have a an impact on Stephen Naismith trusting him in these types of fixtures. Now, it seems daft because these are the fixtures that he was almost born for, uh, and it does sound a little bit strange to drop him for the two Rangers games but start him against Livingston when we've got mm-hmm. 60 or 70% of the ball. But it's the only thing I can think of. It's it's the only, it's the only sort of stat I can see that would offer some potential rationale behind that behind that decision uh, so yeah that that was just my, my sort of take on the, the Devlin decision in terms on, of the first half on Cammy Devlin it. sorry I'll just so I don't come back to it after you've kind of spoken about the game interesting now I don't because I'm in the back of the wheat field I don't get uh, a, a good bit of a, a good view or any real interaction with the, the two dugouts home or away because they're obviously in the front of the main stand but a few people who are just behind them have said they've noticed Stephen Naismith really losing his shit, basically, with Cammy Devlin on the sideline. Um, and sometimes the two of them going at, going at each other. Um, and understand that there's been some instances when Robin Yost was in charge that it was the same, where he was screaming at him and not happy with certain things and whatever he was doing on the pitch, be it his discipline or be it you know, not following instruction. I don't know exactly, but it's it was an observation from a few people who are obviously behind the two dugouts that Naismith has been noticeably unhappy with Cami at times this season during games. So I don't know if it's a case of there's just something he's not doing that Naismith is asking him to, or he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing. But um, yeah, it'd it be noted by certain people. And some people who listen who maybe sit in the wheat field, uh, sorry, who sit in the main stand, have maybe, have maybe noticed it too. Yeah, I know it was... It, Joel had definitely mentioned that off the back of the Livingston game uh, last week. He mentioned that it was, you know, it wasn't a shock to see him coming off at halftime based on the interactions that he and Naismith were having sort of during large parts of that first half. I, I think going back to the start of the game, I mean, I nearly had an aneurysm within about a minute or two of the game happening, uh, kicking off. So there was a point where Kai Rolls receives the ball all he has to do is open up his body, take one touch and spread out wide to Cochrane. But he proceeds to take three or four touches and then plays it across to Kent. And I literally just, I lost my shit because I thought that's a t- that that almost sets the tone for what I'm going to see for the next 90 minutes. And a couple of people in front of me actually had to <laughs> tell me to calm down because they were like, did he worry? It's just the start of the game. I says, no, this is... I, this is the opposite of what we saw at Ibrox. Now, the formation was the same, but the intent was extremely 
you know, different. If you think back to that goal that Shankland scores at Ibrox, Kai Rolls is pushed up into their half, playing the ball out wide quickly to Cochrane to then swing the ball in for Shankland. And from what I could see on Sunday, although the formation wasn't any different, the intent and the mentality was. And, you know, those red flags and those alarm bells were just ringing. You know, I know Stephen Naismith uh, has described the first match as being the first half as being cagey on Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I just don't buy that. I think if Rangers had had a bit more cutting edge in the final third, I think they could have easily been a couple of goals up in the first half. Toby Sibic looked lost on that right wing back position. Uh, the midfield was far too narrow. So both Neuenhoff and Grant were doing very little to offer any form of protection to Cochrane and Sibic, who were then getting doubled up out wide. Uh, and then there was occasions in the first half where, one in particular with Vargas, where he comes short, but you know that he's looking to turn the Rangers player. So basically invite the Rangers player to get tight to him and then turn him. But Alex Cochran doesn't anticipate that and he tries to play to the balty feet. And it's just, it's those little moments for me just now where it's like, I don't know if it's a lack of understanding or a lack of intelligence, but Kenneth Fargas should be on the pitch to do one thing and one thing only. And that is chase balls that are going down the channels and try and get either possession for us up the park or win us a throw-in or win us a corner kick and try and alleviate some of that pressure, he shouldn't be playing with his back to goal, receiving balls to his feet. And this is part of a, a bigger problem that I've got with how we use our, our wide men in general. How often do you actually see Hearts players play the ball in front of a wide man? It's never. They either play it behind them or they play it right to their feet. Um, I, I, I actually I don't know what it is that we're trying to achieve in these games. And this is where the frustration comes from. It's not from getting beat by Rangers. You know, I've, I've just pulled up the stats there. Even even at our best, a manager can only expect a, a one in five ratio of beating Rangers or Celtic. So it's not about that. It's not a, you know, uh, over expectation of the result. It's just the manner again of the defeat. And it's almost as if the players are are pretty much beat before the start and, and that was the sort of body language and the mentality that I saw even when the game was nil-nil. Mark, looking at the you know, defensive side of things, it was nil-nil, but you know, to me it didn't it didn't feel like Ibrox. Ibrox, for the majority of that game, I really felt like we had Rangers at arm's length. They weren't creating the first know. half. Let's not rewrite the, the, the rewrite history. The the first half. Yeah, but box. even in the second when they were getting loads of the ball and they were getting dangerous positions, I felt I felt like we were still restricting to kind of long range shots. Um, we were a bit more organised. I felt like kind of similar to the Livy game from our perspective. It kind of just felt like Rangers were going to find a way through. And you you made a good point. It's like, so what we're going to do when that happens? And it does ha it does happen early in the second half. And you know, we obviously have to single out players sometimes. Xander Clark had a good first half. I thought made some solid stops in my eyes he has a he has a disaster of a second half and it starts with the penalty which albeit there's a lot of problems in this game from a heart's perspective especially defensively but it's rash he just doesn't need to do it, is he and it's as it, it, it's as clear as penalty as you're going to see isn't it i mean i, I saw some people um maybe kind of compare it to penalty other penalties and saying it wasn't i mean for me as soon as i say it that's a penalty of course it is. Of course it is. I put a tweet out saying, well, 
paraphrasing it, it was it was similar to Bobby's Lamal against Celtic. The decision, yeah, the similarity is about the decision making. Yeah, not the actual the because, challenge, but yeah. Yeah, because I watched I watched Bobby's Lamal back against Celtic, and it's the hesitation. He comes, then he stops, then he goes again, and it's probably a dive, right? But he's he's given the referee a decision to make. So I'm not talking about the actual incident as far as Xander Clark's challenge and Bobby's Lamal's challenge. I'm just talking about decision-making from goalkeepers because he's not scoring from there. You don't need no. to go to ground. So it's it's just, it costs us. That was a massive decision um, that went against us in the cup final against Celtic, but it wouldn't have happened if he just stuck to his, his decision-making was better, Bobby's Lamal. And and Xander, look, we, again, we kind of knew that they were going to come out in the second half, but for me, that first half, that Hamden, the game was, and, and this is where I agree with you with regards to compare and contrast with the first half at, at Ibrox. And, and to an extent, some of the second half, yes, they had more of the ball. But I just felt we were able to keep them further away from Xander Clark's goal more often at Ibrox than we were at Hamden. Obviously, I mentioned the WhatsApp group I've got with my pals. Um, there's a, Ranger, a couple of Rangers fans, a Celtic fan, and Ian Mercer, who's a, who's a Hearts fan in there. And the Rangers fans were basically counting the number of chances they had in the first half. And they got to four or five. And we didn't concede from any of them. But we could have done. As Scott said, it, we could have been a couple of goals down at half time. But defensively, what was it? A month ago, we were like, well, Stephen Naismith never changes. He's a 4-2-3-1 guy. Then he went to a 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2 or whatever it was. Then it was a back five. Would We need some sort of stability. We've got a, a I love Stephen Kingsley, and he's been a, he's been great for Hearts. Obviously, we're due a goal from him. It's over fifty now. Did you not see in commentary um, since he scored yeah. for Hearts? But the game close. It's how, <laughs> yeah, it's it's how do you fit? It's like him and it's, it's like a poor man's Kieran Tierney and Andrew Robertson for Scotland. So what does Scotland do? Well, they play Andrew Robertson as a left wing back, and they play uh, Kieran Tierney when both are available and fit as a left centre-back. But we have Kai Rolls playing that position. So I'm not surprised. If if I if I do my homework and I do my research, if I'm the opposition and I see we, I see Kingsley playing at right centre-back and I see either Civic or Forrest at right, that's what I'm targeting. That's what I'm targeting. So I didn't feel we did a good enough job to keep the ball far enough away from Xander Clark. And that kind of set the tone for me at uh, at Hamden. And we, we didn't have an out ball. Because we just couldn't keep the ball. The ball retention was, was too poor. Five minutes after going behind uh, through the penalty that was obviously converted by James Tavernier going to the right, Xander Clark possibly trying to um, call his bluff after he went down the middle in the second penalty he had at Ibrox against the Hearts goalkeeper, but rooted to the spot this time, Tavernier with the goal. Uh, but five minutes later, Scott Wright, who actually hadn't scored for Rangers since he doubled Rangers lead at Hamden against Hearts in the Scottish Cup final the season before last uh, ends up getting played clean in on goal and arrows it on the angle to the bottom left corner. What happened, Scott? You know, we're we're, we're in the game and then within a space of five minutes, we're basically, we're done. I mean, it felt like that was it. Well, th this is a consequence of being so reactive as a, as, as a team for the first 50 minutes of the match. If you go into the match with a more proactive mindset, I I would imagine that players then don't just mentally try and just, you know, chase the game at 1-0. I think there's probably a greater chance that they 
they trust the process and they believe that if they can just keep the game at 1-0 and not make any silly mistakes that they can get back in the match. I think the problem is if you're so defensive and then lose that goal, I think it's a lot easier for players to lose their discipline and then start either getting pulled out of possession or playing too many sort of loose passes and taking too many risks. Stephen Naismith kind of alluded to the, the sort of slack play uh, in some of these post-match interviews, but I'm not quite sure he fully understood what's causing it. Uh, I think he's just putting it down to individual errors, whereas I believe the, the sort of slackness that you're seeing is actually a consequence of how we're being set up for the first minute. Uh, some might agree, some might not, but but that's just an observation from from my end. Uh, and, and before you know it, as soon as that second goal goes in, I mean, it's, it's curtains because, you know, we've got an average of 0 0.9 goals per game in the league just now. We're not exactly uh, flying in, in, in that respect. So it was always going to be an uphill challenge once that one goes in. Question for you, Laurie. How difficult do you think, and Scott as well, it was for Philippe Clement to have a rough idea and pretty much to second-guess both Hearts' lineup, formation and game plan? Well, this is my problem, was because we just played in my eyebrows. So I was like, I felt like we couldn't go with the same game plan again. Because they would have been working on exactly mm -hmm. how they get through that precise game plan. Because exactly. it happened the week before. So I felt like we, for me, we had to do something different. Despite the fact it worked for quite a bit of the game at Ibrox, I felt like they wouldn't be as poor again. Because I thought Rangers were very poor in that game. Um, yeah, they were against us in the league so not much at all you know I think that's exactly what they would have worked towards was breaking down that heart system and I thought they got in behind you know that the King Kingsley played really well against Livingston in the right centre-back role but that's because we had 80% of the ball he was yeah, not tested offensively them, I, I was very concerned about the fact that we were playing Kingsley and you, again, you mentioned already, right centre-back who, you know, he's a left-footed defender who plays generally full-back or left centre-back and playing someone who's not done well in, in the wing-back role recently, Sibic. And I thought they opened that side up quite a bit. You know, Seema's as a good player, probably one of the most dangerous attacking players in the league this season so far. He started his Rangers career very well and I thought they got him behind us far too easily. And I mean, I'll move on to we've got a few other things to go to so I don't want to dwell too much on the big moments in the game because we're going to talk in a bigger picture but third goal goes in from a free kick Kai rolls with the foul free kick edge of the box so this is 14 in a 14 minute spell Rangers get three goals here Tavernier scores it Um, a, a lot of things have been questioned about Xander Clark and I think he's had some good games for Hearts Scott I have some concerns with him and I highlighted this at the end of last season in the game against Hibs, where I felt like the only the only place in the goal that Kevin Nisbet could aim was the bottom right corner, which is the part of the goal that wasn't covered by the wall. And just as Kevin Nisbet goes to hit the ball, Sander Clark shifted all his weight onto his other side, and Nisbet managed to find the bottom corner. Again, with this free kick in commentary, I said, the only place Tavernier's going to go is going to be Xander Clark's side. And if somehow he gets up and over the wall into the top corner, the other side of the goal, you've got no chance anyway. You know, if it's that good a free kick into the other side, you've got no chance. So what you need to do is cover your side of the goal. And again, he shifts his weight onto his other side just as Tavernier goes to hit the ball. And he can't even move for it. Now, I'm not a goalkeeper. I'm not a goalkeeper. I don't train goalkeepers. But 
it just it, it felt odd to me as soon as I saw it. And there are question marks around him now, aren't there? There's there's a few too many of these kind of moments where you think he should do better with things. There are those moments. I, I sometimes try and I sometimes try and add a bit of perspective when when I look at Xander Clark because I have to remind myself that he's not great. Gordon. He's been the successor to, I mean, arguably arguably the best keeper that Scotland have had this century, not just Hearts. So I, I I do think that sometimes we we are maybe a little bit overcritical of him, but I would say that Sunday isn't one of those uh, times where we've been overcritical. I thought it was really poor at the third goal. Uh, from that distance, when you consider it was literally maybe a yard off the 18-yard box, yeah. Tavernier is never getting that up and down. Not the way that he hits it. I know that certain players could maybe do it, but if you look at Tavernier's uh, sort of style in terms of how he tries to get action on the ball, there's not a chance he's getting that up and down from that distance. Another five, ten yards, yeah, you've certainly seen occasions where he's done it, but it was only going one way, and for Clark to not to anticipate that and put his way even just ever so slightly to the right, I, I just don't know what he's doing. And, uh, you know, uh, if I'm going to be completely honest, I think it has a huge bearing on the game. Not no. really. I think the game was done at 2-0. Uh, but, I, yeah, it does add a little bit of weight to the the growing evidence or the growing concerns that some fans are having. But, but again, you know, I, I do think, albeit against the old firm, we've been reasonably poor defensively. I think, overall, it's more offensive that we've got concerns against the other teams rather than yeah. defensive. So I'm, I'm fine with Clark for the time being. I think, you know, hopefully Craig might make it back maybe potentially after the international break along with, along with Craig Halkett. But but yeah, it, it was poor for the first goal. It was poor for the third goal. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, moving forward, I'm, I'm reasonably, you know, content with, with seeing them remain in the sticks. All right, so I'll go back. Nine minutes from the end after VAR proved its worth for a change and overturned a Kingsley second yellow for simulation into a Hearts penalty that Lawrence Shanklin converted confidently, albeit a fair few empty seats behind the goal in the East Stand after Hearts fans had left. But it was the first player to score at Hamden against Rangers for Hearts since John Cahoon in the Scottish Cup final of May 1996. But it wasn't to stop Hearts now losing 10 in a row at Hamden against Rangers. Four goals and 27 conceded in that time. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Right, I want to stick with the Rangers game a little bit just now. Uh, I've got an email from Kieran McKnight, our second email that we'll get to, who says, Hi guys, I just want to send an email with a couple of things from today's defeat. Looking at the first half, I don't think we were particularly good. I think it was cagey, and let's be honest, Rangers were on top for the majority of that half. Clark made some good saves, and we cleared our lines a good few times. Now, to be a fly on the wall inside the changing room at half time. The penalty is a penalty again. It's poor from Clark. Danilo is running away from goal, and Xander has given him the chance to go for contact and win the penalty. I can kind of understand why Clark didn't dive in the last game against Tav's converted penalty Ibrox. It was down the middle. Second goal again, just doing the basics. The third, good free kick, but Jesus Christ, we don't give ourselves a chance. 
I just feel frustrated every week. I don't feel we're a good team anymore. I feel like there's no clear identity of the team. The tactics um, down the lines and trying to play Vargas in behind very rarely offer anything. There's no leaders in the team and there's certainly no belief. I didn't expect us to win today, but I want someone to take some accountability for the poor recruitment in the summer. The club is soft from top to bottom at the moment. There's a lot of chat. I'd actually call it waffle in the press every week. Just do your talking on the pitch. Show the fans you're good enough. The run of fixture over winter and the new year have a chance uh, to be awful. Hopefully we get some clarity from the board sooner rather than later of ownership of decisions and if there will be funds in January as it's needed. Thank you. Kieran, um, we're going to get into some bigger picture stuff shortly mark we go to a few messages that we've received but you know you can feel the frustration from the likes of of kieran getting in touch and you can feel it around the the fans you know i think um the fact that we had a a very empty um handed park on the heart side with what a quarter of the game still remaining just sums things up right now doesn't it the apathy how do you change the apathy you, you win games you score goals you get excitement levels back up to where the majority of us are used to when we follow Hearts. It's a team that, on the whole, is usually challenging for European football. We've had our down years, of course, but to challenge for European football to hopefully finish third, you need to, to score more goals than we're scoring. Ten goals scored in the Premier League. Um, I, I kind of, let's worry about them. This is the perception. Let's worry about them against Rangers rather than let them worry about us, give them something to, to worry about. So there is apathy among the supporters. And I think it's a pretty easy team talk for Stephen Naismith this weekend. Um, they might feel like they're getting it from all angles. Well, yeah, they, they might be rightly or wrongly, but there's a way to, to keep that quiet. I'm not saying fix it. Can't fix it in one game. But this, I, I, I described the Livingston game as, as the most important of the season up until then. This the, the level of importance at Motherwell now, going into an international break, you cannot silence some of the, the, the doubters, but you can you can keep them quiet for a period of time until the next game, because what is it after the international break? Is it St. Johnston at home? So six points from these two games, that would help. It would help. It would make everything in the garden rosy, but less than six points starting with not winning this weekend. It's going to make a nasty international break if they don't. So there's your team talk. Win it, shut them up. Simple. We also got an email from Hannah Burns, which I'll get to as well, which um, is talking a bit more generally uh, just now. Um, she says, Hi guys, really enjoy listening to the show each week. Thanks for giving me something to look forward to regarding Hearts, as the team certainly isn't at the moment. Uh, this may be a bit incoherent, as I didn't know where to start, so apologies in advance, just need to get some things off my chest. Here goes, what happened to Hearts, and in fact football generally? We are apparently a possession-based football team. It seems like we're trying to replicate some sort of Man City model with Hearts players. That's insane. What's happened to high-tempo football with players moving um, at more than a slow walking pace, making runs, changing positions, filling in, etc.? Hearts players stand still. Teams know they can just sit off us uh, with a low block and we can't break them down because nobody makes runs, creates space, etc. To be honest, it's happening across high-level football games. Games are becoming boring as teams cancel each other out most of the time. There seems to be a lack of spontaneity, which is what makes or made football so great. Hearts need to stop trying to replicate what works for other teams and find our own identity and play to our strengths, whatever they may be. 
There have been some flashes in recent matches. However, overall, it's very worrying and the body language of the players doesn't seem right. It's pretty obvious they chucked it under Robbie and looks like things are going the same way, which is hugely disappointing and frustrating. They get paid to play football. It's supposed to be fun, yet their faces are usually tripping them. Um, she goes on to talk about her abysmal record against Rangers and Celtic, which we've we've obviously referenced already. But she also ends with, at the moment, going to games feels like a chore. The fans are becoming totally disillusioned and it needs sorted now. We can't expect to win all the time, but we can surely expect more than what we're currently getting, especially with the backing of the fans, which at the moment is not being in any way rewarded. Um, thanks for reading if you get this far, Hannah. Uh, Scott, I mean, I guess one of the main points there is about generally this kind of approach play, and it does feel like we're in a similar position that we got to under Robbie, doesn't it, in terms of there isn't any pace and tempo, there isn't excitement, and fans aren't really enjoying going to the football and watching their team, which is it's what it should be all about. Yeah, I, I think for me, this is this is the bigger concern than the results them, itself. You know, I, I think if you can fix some of these problems, results will take care of themselves. Uh, my issue is that I listen to the, the post-match analysis or, or, or interviews and then I can't quite, I, I, I just can't quite figure out how we were looking to achieve what Stephen Naismith wanted. So I think a case in point is the the ability to switch the ball out wide very quickly. So he clearly wants, and and I think he's tried to do that since he even took the you know the internship uh, of the, of the club back in back in April. I remember that first game at Easter Road. There was quite a lot of occasions in the first half that day where it was pretty much direct and trying to get the ball out wide to Barry Mackay that day uh, in the final third. Now he said that that's something that that you know the players or the team let him down on at the weekend. You know they just weren't switching the ball quickly enough. But then you look at the team selection and you're thinking, well, where's where's that cross field ball coming from? Who's who's doing that? Now Kai Rolls isn't you know, he's he's fine with the ball at his feet. But he's not someone who really plays long, direct diagonals from one side to the other. Stephen Kingsley can do it, but can he do it when he's having to play right centre-back? Uh, certainly not in his natural position. Then you look at the midfield and you're thinking, well, Neuenhoff and Beningame are, are fine at you know recycling the ball and retaining it. But again, they don't strike me as players that can play that ball. The only player in our squad that I would say he's capable of playing that ball is Peter Harren. But but for natural reasons, you know, he's he's not included in the team because there's there's other sort of uh, you know deficiencies in his game. Hence why his, his game time is so limited now. So I, I can't quite understand what it is that he's trying to achieve and and why he thinks those players are, are the best ones suited to trying to do that. And that was just one of the examples that I could think of straight away. It was a really good email from Hannah. I, I think one of the one of the pieces of the email that really resonates with me is the whole concept of, of entertainment or lack thereof and feeling quite apathetic. I was trying to think of a, a sort of similar spell to this where, you know, you were turning up to the games and the best that you were hoping for would maybe be, you know, a 1-0 or a 0-0. And I think you would probably go back Shabba to the Shabalazlo, <laughs> in particular the, the second season. Where even, yeah, I was going to say, even when we finished scoring, third, it was a bit miserable. Yeah, <laughs> well, even but into that second season, unless Mikey Stewart was scoring with a penalty, we were not winning games of football. 
that you know, from about August to December of that second season, and it did get to a stage where you're in the pub before the game, and you're, you know, it might be a Saturday, and the, the soccer Saturday results are starting to come up, and you're, you know, you do have that thought of, do I just spend the next two hours in the pub with an extra couple of drinks and put a bet on the other games? Because <laughs> I know what's going to happen here. So I totally understand, you know, where Hannah's coming from and where I think a, a few other fans are coming from, and, and this is my biggest concern you know you can lose games of football and Hearts will continue to do that I'm sure on a reasonably consistent level over the years to come but it's how you lose these games and as long as I can see that there's a, a game plan and as long as I can see that there's a a real effort to stick to a process, then that's fine. But we've already discussed tonight that formations are getting changed we've already discussed that not so much tonight, but in previous episodes, that this brand of football that Stephen Naismith, you know, eloquently put across in these interviews, sort of between April and May, is it, it, you know, it's it's just not visible. You know, we're not seeing any of that. We're not seeing that aggression, that high, that high tempo, that high press. So I think it can be very understandable for fans to sit back and say, well. I don't understand then, you know, what what are we looking to achieve? Uh, because apart from maybe being a bit tighter at set plays, I don't really see anything else that we've actually improved upon between this and when Robbie left, which is now, what, seven months ago? Yeah. Trust the process or don't trust the process. What's that? That's a, that was basketball. That mantra came from originally, wasn't it? Trust the process. Are we trusting the process? We don't know, but I think that's a good point to move on because we do have some other messages we want to get to and a few topics that I think are, are very relevant to what we're discussing just now. You're listening to Scarves Are In The Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So yeah, let's let's get to the tweets what are we going to call these actually before too long? Because tweets and Twitter, it's X now, isn't it? What do we call What do we call them? X's. You still do the Hoovering, don't you? And yes. We, how many of us have got Hoover? We'll get it. Or something like that. Um, we still use Tip X and it's pointing fluid. It'll always yeah. be a tweet. It's just and, and usually an angry tweet, but it'll be a tweet. Okay. Fine. Just, just want to clear that up. Um, let's see. So we've got some points here starting off with. Um, kind of relating to replacing the manager and, and kind of what we do. So I'll get to some of these first, so get some feedback from, from you guys. So Matty JK says, after Motherwell inevitably beat us on Saturday, do you think the board will act professionally, admit their most recent mistake and use the international break to identify approach and hire an experienced manager and his backroom staff as opposed to embarking on another project? Mike Hamilton says, I don't really see the point in getting rid of one manager without having identified a successor as it will just put us in a situation where we need to rush the decision. With that in mind, how do you think we're doing behind the scenes to find the right man for the job? Uh, Maximus Hound said Chris Wilder, but a restructure of the football department. Stephen Robinson uh, with the same structure and individuals in place or a different option? Would that be what we'd put in place? And you and Mike would love that. Stephen Tim, Robinson's yeah. on the thing, <laughs> Tim Sanders says, how long is it to, is too long to save our season? We need a, a new manager to work with the players and in January punt the ones he doesn't want and bring in some better replacements. I do not want a Scottish or British manager, someone who doesn't care about reputations. So so Mark, I guess these are all kind of linked to 
what happens now? Do we replace him? I guess first up, if we um, have a poor result, a poor performance and poor result against Motherwell at the weekend, will we, do you think, make a move to replace Stephen Naismith? And in the scenario where we do replace him, who do you think or what kind of manager do you think we should be going for? You're asking the person that said there was no chance that Hearts would sack Robbie Nielsen if Hearts lose against <laughs> St Mirren at Tynecastle. Oh, look, I'm old enough, I'm daft enough, I'm big enough to remember and bring up things that I can be self-deprecating about. I don't think um, that there will be any change regardless of the result. I, I This is a difficult one because... A lot of what we are doing right now is is, is assumption, um, and it's assumption without probably the necessary uh, education. But we're never going to get the education because the education required is to know every single thing that's happening behind the scenes, to know if they're looking for a new manager, to know what the recruitment process would be. Part of the reason for me that Hearts are in the situation that they're in, and a big part of that is recruitment. Now, a lot of people would look at that or listen to that and think, yeah, that's on the pitch. I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. I think I think this board has shown that its track record of of recruiting is on a par with arts recruitment of players. They kind of go hand in hand. They haven't been good enough. So do we entrust those behind the scenes, the decision makers to make the right appointment? We don't have a choice. But we we, we don't have a choice to do that. They will only get rid of the manager. This is a personal opinion. They will only get rid of the manager if they are confident they have got someone lined up to take over. And that is where I think that they don't want to have to replace the manager because they've just, a couple months ago, had the press conference to announce that this is your new manager, albeit it's a different title from technical director, but it doesn't look good for them. If they end up having to replace another manager, it's like, hold on here. How many times have we got to change our manager before realizing either the players are the problem or the people making the decision to change and appoint is the issue as well? So, Motherwell, I don't think there'll be a change. I, I think we play St. Johnson. I think Stephen Naismith is in, is in the dugout. Um, and I, again, I'm, I'm you can't start the show by not by being positive and then get dragged in and, and I understand totally why we to go this way. Of course, of, of course, I I can't be optimistic we're going to win because there's nothing that we've seen that gives us that optimism. We'll, we'll still predict positive results. I'm sure the three of us when it comes to prediction time. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you mm. both got history. You both got history. But I. No, not 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 for me. It ain't going to happen. Doesn't matter what I would do. It ain't going to happen, regardless of the result. And Naismith will be in the technical area. Now, those two weeks in between, Motherwell away and Johnston at home, the manner and the mood in the camp could be very different depending on what happens at Fir Park. Yeah, I mean, Derek said, even if we sack Naismith, do you trust the board to get? the right replacement and Flitch said sacking Nasey might pacify some fans short term but won't cure our ills a mix of bad recruitment, board decisions and managerial naivety are affecting the club can we afford to keep sacking coaches um, and why are we signing players who don't appear to have the right mental attitude um, Scott I'm going to put a different one to you here, the squad itself so Graham message saying Naismith is getting a lot of stick which is understandable but is the squad just not good enough 
Whereas James Ross said, actually, I think our squad is good. And with a good manager, we can get back to third and make a better attempt at getting points off the old firm. All the names banded about, I'd be happy with McInnes or Warnock. But I'm, I'd like to see the board look beyond the same names. In terms of the squad, though, Scott, where do you stand with it? Because we've got you know, Graham saying, is it just the fact that the squad's not good enough regardless of the manager? Or do you think they've got something about them? And in fact, if we had the right manager or a different manager in place, they could get a lot more out of them. First and foremost, I like a lot of the squad. I think on paper, a lot of the the players have you know specific skill sets that they can offer a football team. I think the issue comes down to balance or lack thereof, and it's it's a very disjointed squad now. When you look at it, you know there's there's a real lack of pace and sort of drive and energy within the squad. You know there isn't a lot of pace if you take away so a you know, Oda and Vargas naturally have pace, but then where else is pace coming from throughout the team? There's not a lot of legs there, which I think gets very badly exposed on wider parks, if you think about so the Ibrox and, and Hamden uh, in particular. You then look at certain, you know, certain things that have changed over the last few weeks. So, you know, when we recruited certain individuals over a year ago, the likes of Kai Rolls and Natty Atkinson and, and, and even Alex Cochran, they were recruited with a mindset that Robbie Nielsen favoured a sort of free for free system. That's what he was doing since he sort of got John Suter back from injury and when we'd got promoted back up to the Premiership. Now, the problem is when Robbie left, we were still stuck with those players, but Stephen Naismith has had, on the whole, a preference for going with a flat-back four. Now, the problem is that flat-back four doesn't suit Kai Rolls, which I, I think was very self-evident, you know, at the, at the start of this season. Uh, I don't think it's particularly helpful to Natty Atkinson as well. It doesn't really accentuate his positives, and it, it kind of shit shines a spotlight on on the negative aspects of his game in terms of his positional play. You then look at players that we've then brought in. So, you know, we've signed Callum Newenhoff. And again, I, I don't have an issue with Callum Newenhoff as an individual. I think he's played well in some games. I think the the home defeat to Celtic on Sunday were, were probably his two poorest performances in a, a Hearts jersey. But I do think he's a solid enough player. The problem is, I don't see what he brings to the team that we didn't already have in spades from Devlin, Beningame, Harren, Denham, Halliday, Macaulay Tate. Like, the list goes on. So it's, I, I think he's a right to highlight that there is a bit of an issue with recruitment. It, it, it's not just about the manager. I think that, you know, we, we need to decide what formation we want to stick with and what style of play we want. Because just now, we've got some players who who are more suited to a three. We've got some players who are more suited to a four. We've then got a huge issue in midfield where we've got four or five players who can all perform the same task, but we've not really got what you'd class as a, a classic box-to-box midfielder, which, to be fair, does seem to be a bit of a dying art generally in football. You're either now a bit of a spoiler or you like to play as a number 10. No one seems to sort of play that that proper old-school number 8 position that we've sort of adored from certain Hearts players over the, the past few decades. And then you look up top and we've got a huge issue with trying to 
find the right way to get the best out of the likes of Vargas, hence the example that I brought up earlier, where you know we're we're almost asking him to play with his back to goal. And I've seen us do the same with Tagawa when he's had fleeting uh, appearances for the club as well. So there's there's a lot to unpack in that squad just now. Uh, and one of the tweets that I posted up earlier today, you know, I, I kind of signed it off with saying that. It, this isn't just an issue with with a manager and one individual philosophy. Regardless of the manager, we have an issue within the squad that needs to be addressed and we need to find a way of fixing this short term until we get to January and we can try to address some of the bigger issues within the squad. But but yeah, I, I, I do agree with... Uh, you know, with what some of the guys are saying in terms of, I don't think the squad is as good or as strong as maybe we have allowed ourselves to believe over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months. I, I would, je- I would definitely say it's weaker than it was during our first season back. Anyway. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned formation, so Robin McKendrick had just said, "Why don't we consider changing to a four-three-three? I don't want to get too deep into formation and tactics, but one simple question." For us all, what do you so forget about the style of play? So, regardless of whether it's Stephen Naismith in charge or a new manager, whoever, with the players we currently have, what do you think is the formation that would suit them best? Mark, just the formation. What would you What would you pick? Two three five. Two three five. Okay. Fuck it. Fuck it. That's, that's 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 a tough one. Throwing in. Okay. Look, what, 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 here we go. We scored ten goals in the league, right? I'll say three, four, three. That's it. That's if 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 we take four, away three, three, four, three. Okay, what's got just three three attackers? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with the three, four, three as well. I think that suits more of the players that we currently have in the squad. Okay, interesting. Just thought, just wanted to see what people thought of that. Fully fit, you know. If, if fully fit, yeah, in the guy there. I yeah, if you got the current squad, yeah. Sorry, should say that if if everyone's fully fit, current squad. Take away whoever's in charge or what their style might be. I would agree with that. I think that's what we've got. Um, let's see other comments we've got very quickly before we round up. Connor Radish, we had a little interaction with Scott as well. <laughs> um, said we're four points off third with a game in hand ahead of Hibs and Dons. We overachieved in Europe and made the semi final of the League Cup. We've not been great, but for fuck's sake, people, the fan base hysteria is absolutely ridiculous. So it's a Different angle. I won't antagonise Scott by going into that too much just now. We'll save that for another episode. Um, Harry Bell says, what are the key objectives set by the board to Stephen Nesmith and Joe Savage for the season? After quarter one, how are they performing against these objectives? So a very quick one again. Um, what do you think the, what would you reckon the key objectives would be set for Stephen Nesmith? Just basics. What, what do you think the targets would have been, Scott? I, I don't know. I mean, all, all I can tell Obviously, you we is, don't know for sure, but what, what yeah, do you think I mean, it would have publicly, been? So, so, so going on what was kind of shared with the, the fan base as a whole over the summer and just prior to that, it seemed to be that the reason that they, they looked at Stephen Naismith was based heavily on the performances rather than the results from that, that seven-game run. Uh, during the tail end of the season. Now, during that seven-game run, there was a very sort of high press and, ag- and aggressive style of football, in particular in the home games, maybe not so much away from home. Uh, so I think, you know, th- there would have been an intent on them saying, well, you need to find a way of getting the club to 
the team to play differently how Robbie had a setup towards the tail end because naturally that led or, or partly led to his downfall. I think the fact that he had that track record with the B team, you would have probably thought that I wouldn't say it'd be a black and white or, or sort of hard and fast rule, but I think they'd maybe like to see there being opportunities for some of the B team to at least get included with the, you know, the match day squads on a Saturday. Uh, and, and I think, I think they would probably give them a minimum expectation of fourth. I, I think they would probably ask them to to try and get top four and uh, you know cup runs, uh, which you know. We can obviously flap our gums about how it ended on Sunday, but you, you would class that as a cup run. He won the two games that we were expected to to, uh, to win, and then we lost the game that you know ultimately we were underdogs in. So I, I do think that is probably what he was given as a as a sort of remit, or, or I'd imagine that's what he was given as a remit, especially when you consider how bullish he was in these interviews as well. He talked a lot about how he wants Hearts to be an entertaining team and play on the front foot because that's what he liked to do as a player. So I would imagine that that interview was kind of almost in itself a bit of an audition for his interview with the board uh, when he gave that back in April. So so yeah, that's that's why I think he, was, he, he, he will probably be getting judged on at the moment. Right, before we go, we're running into added on time and although you get 50 minutes of that in the English Premier League these days. We're still in Scotland, so it's, you still get more standard four or five minutes every now and again. Um, let's look at Motherwell Hearts. I'm not in any too much detail, Mark, because yeah, we've we've done all these previews a few times. But Motherwell, without winning eight, this is when Hearts fans say typical. Without <laughs> yes. winning eight, losing six of those matches. Ooh. They actually haven't won since they last Defeated Hearts in the last meeting oh, on the 3rd of September. Haven't won at home since August. They did fight back from 2-0 down against St. Johnson, though, um, this midweek. Hearts has won winning five. Just two away wins in the league in 2023 for Hearts. That's from 14 games, but both this season. But if you do angle it in terms of you take Rangers and Celtic out of the equation, only one of the last six, dom- six domestic matches have ended in defeat for Hearts. So just two points separating the sides Motherwell currently not in a good run of form Mark is that the the worst thing that Hearts could have right now or is it the opportunity that we need there have been a few robberies in sport but Motherwell nil Hearts 3 is going to be up there with one of the, the, the <laughs> yeah. worst um, not the last time we went there but the time before I take one of those games that it's not about performance, I'd like a performance, of course, but I want to see everything we've spoken about that we haven't done. And you can't just flick a switch in it and it happens, but I, I want to see bravery on the ball. I want to see passing it forward when you've got two options and one's harder, but it's on, but it's forward. We'll try that. If Ange Postacoglu can play a high line with nine players and know that he's going to concede chances, but also know that he's going to keep his team with a chance of getting something from the game, then I'm not saying go gung-ho, but at least give us something that we can cling on to during the international break. That was better. That kind of thing. So I, I, I've got no idea what's going to happen, but there's there's usually, I don't know if it's the first 10 or first 15 minutes of, of a Hearts game, you can usually get a fair idea of how the game is going to go from, from the start that, that Hearts make. So 
we we wait to see. Apart from that time we went one 0 up at Easter Road and lost six two. Well, so here's a weird one. I remember commentating on that, and I still say, "Hibs fans, oh, you remember the six two? I said we had a great chance at one 0 We'd scored, and we could. Scotty, who was it? I can't remember. Um, Hearts should have gone two 0 up. It might have been Wales. I remember Wanjo having a chance. Somebody did. 1-0. Uh, to be did. fair, first 20 minutes of that match, we were we were pretty decent. You know, We were. We, were we could have gone 2-0 up. Yeah. So, so yeah. there you go. You can't always trust the first 50 minutes of a game. <laughs> um, do, Scott, are we, are we trusting the process here? Is it going to come good in this game against the Motherwell team bereft of form, confidence and, and anything else? It's difficult. I mean, one one of the sort of positives that I think we can take from the you know the expected Motherwell lineup is that they've they've just announced that Leonard Miller's going to be out for at least a couple of months. And although on a personal note, that's that's unfortunate for him. Uh, it, it's probably going to help us because I think he gave them a a bit of swagger and a bit of drive and legs in the midfield uh, during our home tie. A bit similar to what Dean Cornelius done last season. Uh, sort of during that, that early spell when Kettlewell came in as interim manager, he decided to recall Cornelius to the team because up until then, you know, you had some decent ball players like Slatterly and, and, and sort of Spittle playing, but, you know, they, they don't really cover the ground quite as much. So I think with Lennon Miller being out, I think that does represent an opportunity for us to sort of get a foothold in the centre of the park. Uh, I would be inclined to drop Benny and I would be inclined to go with a, a sort of midfield two. Uh, just, you know, play Devlin and Neuenhoff in there. Uh, if Lowry's back for concussion, then start him maybe ahead of them. If not, then maybe start Grant. And I would be inclined to maybe just start Boyce and Shankland and, and just get a couple of intelligent footballers up top, making runs across the back line and pulling players out of position. I think just now we're, we're just not seeing it click just now for the likes of Vargas and Oda. And, and that's not on name. I think that a lot of that comes down from our, our passive sort of build-up play. But I think they're players who can make a bigger contribution just now when the game's more open in the second half. So I'd like to see us maybe go away a bit more of a sort of rigid and narrow formation uh, with a view to sort of, you know, getting a foothold in midfield. If we can do that, I think we've got a good chance of winning this game, you know. Uh, Motherwell are not offering a lot just now. Uh, Mika, uh, is it Mika Biref, the, the Arsenal loanee? I can never mm -hmm. know how he pronounces his second name, but I think that's nearly right. Uh, he's been their sort of their bright spark. You know, it's it's been a bit unfortunate that, that he got injured, I think, after his first or second appearance. But he's came back last couple of games, scored a couple of goals. So he's probably their, their main danger man. Uh, they're also missing Paul Mc Paul McGinn at the back, who brings a bit of experience and sort of solidity as well. So they do have their problems to seek. And, you know, I, I, I think we've just got to try and be positive here. And uh, I'm going to go for a I'm going to go for a 2-0 Hearts one. A goal scorer there? I will go with Liam Boyce. Liam Boyce, okay. Yeah, I noticed as soon as we stopped picking Vargas, he actually finally scored <laughs> against Livingston. Mark, how about you? Score line and a goal scorer. I was actually going to go 2-0. Um, okay. But I'll go Shankland. 2-0 on Shankland, okay. I, I, was, I had Boyce in my head. I think he's... Stick with it. Don't, don't change you. Oh, we should stick with it. Stick with it. No, I'm going to go, boys. I'm going to go with 2-2. Two, two. 
And it's gonna it's gonna leave us in a position of we're we're gonna oh. see some flashes of the hearts attacking style that we wanted, but we're also gonna see some defensive frailties and we're gonna be left in a position of Okay. No man's what do we land. make of that? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. I hope I hope one of you two, two. Uh, is, is correct. But I'm gonna go what two. What am I expecting that from you? Uh, what, what's your drink of choice tonight? So I can see what the alcohol ABV is to no, determine. Just just, uh, just had a Pepsi Max. To be honest, I do I do have a Heverly in the fridge, but um, I haven't touched what? it yet. A Heverly, nice what's Belgian that? beer. Huh. But um, can you play up front? <laughs> can you play right centre back or right back? That'd be, that'd be the bigger I question. What's right. Michael Smith up to? Did he get a new club? Uh, he was. Going to, what was that? Was it Lincoln or something? Chel- I, I thought remember. it was at Cheltenham that he was looking Maybe at. Ch- uh, he playing, he definitely did get he... a deal with someone. What did get he... up to? Oh, is it Yeovil Town he went to in the end? I'm pretty sure Cheltenham had him on trial, maybe. But he's um, he's apparently with uh, National League South side now, Yeovil. My. He's better than that, is he not? Yeah, how the mighty have fallen. I wonder if anyway. McGowan would be allowed to leave St. Johnson by Levine. No, he'd be captain by January, like you said. Right, whatever happens in the Motherwell against Hart Midlothian game, we will be back next week to discuss it. If you would like to contact us in the meantime, like uh, Hannah did, Kieran and Neil, and all those who tweeted us, you can email podcast at scarvesaroundafunnel.co.uk or you can tweet at around the funnel or whatever you call it these days it's apparently still going to be a tweet but if you want to X us then that's fine as well um, until next time get there. Uh, yeah. until next time trust the process or don't up to you thanks for tuning in